Hey, we're uh, about almost nearing the end of our 21-day prayer journey together, prayer and fasting. And if you haven't had the privilege of stepping into that, if you want to start that, we've got those booklets available to you at the next steps. Grab one. Um, I encourage you to grab one and at least continue to step into it a little bit. It's life-changing. And um, if you've maybe started and now you've stopped and you, you kind of feel like, I don't know, can I get back into it? I want to encourage you, like, don't, don't stop. Don't let guilt hold you back from stepping in because God, I still want, know that God still wants to actually meet you right where you are in the season that you're at, uh, right in the space that you're at. So here's what I've learned. Here's what C.S. Lewis says. You may have learned this in your 21-day journey. No one knows how bad they are until they've tried very hard to be good. That's what C.S. Lewis said, by the way. And here's what I've discovered. You've either discovered this in your 21-day journey. You've either messed up, right? You've either missed in your fast or messed up in your time with him or whatever it is. You've either messed up at some point in your week or you've realized what you've been missing out on. And I would say I've been in both. I mean, you realize that like when you really step in and begin to draw near to God, the scriptures are actually true, that he draws near to you. When you decide to step in, he steps in even further. And he's been there all along but you, you, you kind of question, or at least I question, I go, God, why are you so kind and so quick to step back in? I've been missing out all along, and yet he's so kind, he's so good to step right back in and meet me right where I am. And I just want to encourage you, God wants to meet you right where you are. Right where you are, today where you are. Not maybe where you need to be. Everybody knows where we need to be, right? He wants to meet you right where you are. And if you step back in, he'll meet you right there. Every single time, never fail. And it's the experience of him that begins to change our life. So I encourage you, 21 days is almost up, but it's not too late for you. So, hey, let's recap for a second. We've been in 1 Thessalonians. We've been talking about this New Testament church that is transforming the world. They're turning everything upside down. There's three things that Paul notices that, is a tribute, that he attributes to actually being a part of turning the world upside down. Because they received the good news of Jesus, transforms their life in these three ways. He starts talks about first, he talks about their work of faith. So basically, their faith translates into how they're working in the community. We talked about Martin Luther, how he looked into the Psalms and he saw that uh, where the psalmist says that God provides food for the city. And we talked about how I've never seen God step out of heaven and actually provide food. Y'all, like he's picking it and handing it all to us. No, I don't see that. What you see is you see people. And so what this truth does for us when we understand uh, this good news that he provides through us, we understand that every single one of us, no matter what job we have, is actually valuable. So whether you mop floors or you're a CEO of a company, if you don't have people mopping floors, then you ain't going to be a good CEO. And if you don't have a CEO, then you ain't going to be able to mop a floor. So God gives value to every single job that actually exists. It ups the ante on importance. You're not just doing a job for some money. You've been tasked by God to actually be a provider for the nation, to be a blessing to others as he's been a blessing to you. This work of faith translates to the church and they take that attitude wherever they go and everyone around them at their workplace was like, what is this? What is this person? You know, yeah, they're crazy. The second thing that, that, that we see is this labor of love. And as we looked in 1 Thessalonians, we saw that the labor of love that Paul talks about was this idea of parenting. 
So first he talks about a mom who gives up her life for her child to actually have life. Thank God for mom, you know? If mom didn't give up her life, I wouldn't be standing here today. None of y'all would be here. If some mom wasn't active in your life to give up their life for you to actually survive. Somebody acted as a mom in your life. But then it talked about also a dad. He talked about three specific things that a dad did. Exhorts, encourages, and charges. Remember what we talked about? This labor of love that they were doing with people. And what a good father does is he encourages you beyond where you thought you could ever go. So he pushes you a little bit, right? Actually, a good dad will push you. A, a good dad, though, will also meet you in the midst of like when things get hot and they start heating up and you're like, I don't feel comfortable. I don't want to go further. Anybody ever get to that place with dad? I don't want to do that. This is hard. I want to stay in my comfort spot. And dad's like, get going, you know, let's go. But a good father meets you in your discomfort and brings encouragement to you. Meets you right there and goes, hey, I know how you feel. And many of us may not have had that in our life, but I want to tell you, this is the father that, that God is to us. He pushes you, yes, but he meets you right where you are every single time and comforts you and go, hey, I'm with you. I'm with you. I live this life with you. And then what happens is once you start getting to the spot where you have been encouraged or able to walk and you're actually able to function, what does a good parent do? Go get it, kid. Go get it. You're ready. And we're standing back here and we're charging you on and we're applauding you. If you feel like a good parent doesn't do any of that stuff, you need to read the scriptures. Don't get it twisted. A good parent does all three of those things. So if you feel like you never want to bring a challenge to your child, I promise you, you're not doing the biblical way. You want to push your child a little bit, enough to feel the discomfort, the burn, and we're going to meet them right in the burn. We're going to go, hey, you are doing great. I'm going to encourage you right here. And then guess what? They're going to grow up, ready to go, and you're going to go, I trust you to go get it now. Just like I've done this in your life, go do this with someone else. This is the idea of discipleship, this labor of love that we're called to alongside each other. The third thing, the third thing was the steadfastness of hope. And we use this word picture, and you might have remembered if you weren't here, we use the word picture where the scripture says we have this anchor for our soul, which is this hope. We have a hope, which is an anchor. What does an anchor do? You remember? You go, you go fishing, you go boating. An anchor, you've got to have an anchor, or guess what? You find yourself, your boat's all of a sudden hitting the land, and you don't know how you got there, right? Your boat drifts. I don't know about you, but I drift a lot. And if I'm not anchored down, all of a sudden I realize, how did I get here? So what we have is this hope that's steadfast, that's certain. It keeps us steady. And the other thing that an anchor does is, in the middle of a storm, it actually keeps the, the boat from tipping over. The pitch and the roll, it actually keeps you more stable in a storm. So I promise you, a storm, if you're not in a storm today, they're coming. And every single one of us goes through storms in our life. And if your life is not anchored down, then you're going to find you take on a lot of water. You take on a lot of damage. And, 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 and I want to encourage you, the hope that you're searching for to bring certainty and stability in your life is actually found in this word. That's what this, this church had discovered. And they were living among times where it was really challenging. They were being pulled from their home. Some were being killed. Some were being thrown into prison. And yet, they had this stability. They had this steadiness. No matter what happened, they were steady. And so everyone looked on and said, what is wrong with these people? They are crazy. In fact, 
Acts says they thought that they were drunk people. They lived a drunkard life. And so Paul wants us to know today, we're going to look at that. We ain't drunk. We just, we just lie with the Spirit. And so there's, there's somewhat of consistency of being drunk and actually being filled with the Spirit. I don't care about what you care about. I got a different kind of mentality about every situation. But it's no drug or alcohol, man. It's the Spirit of the living God. It's available to each one of us. So if this is you and you don't understand any of those three things or maybe a couple of those things, you want more information, I want to encourage you, like, welcome. But come talk to me. Don't sit here and live in ignorance and like you don't know where to start. Hey, if you've got a question about any of these things, no matter how crazy it might sound, I want you to have the freedom to come talk to me. I just want to walk with you. I don't want to berate you. I don't want to look down on you. I'm not going to because I'm with you. So talk to me. Ask me questions and I'll send you to other people who can maybe answer some of those things. But if that's you, if you've got questions, I want to encourage you. This is a safe spot for you and you're welcome here today. And so Welcome. If you've got your Bible, we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians 5. We're going to finish up this whole book, okay? 1 Thessalonians 5, we're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to go through 11. And after 11, we're going to hit verse 14. And the idea of this mini-series is uh, certain words for 2020. Certain words for 2020. You got it? You with me? And we're live today. I can feel it. I can feel that. I can just, you guys get me pumped, man. Let's go. Verse one. Now concerning the times and the seasons, you have no need to have anything written to you guys. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there's peace and security. Finally got it under control. Don't worry about a thing. Then suddenly destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you're not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. I went to a surprise birthday party last night. And what happens when you're surprised? Do you know why you're surprised? It's because you don't believe the truth. You believe something else. So... Uh, we're waiting there and she walks in the door and it flings open and she's so shocked when everyone screams surprise. You know how it like doesn't translate and you're like, you're like, what is going on? It like caught me so off guard. You get this weird face. Everybody's taking pictures so I can't wait to see those pictures. You know, like, what is this? Everybody's screaming when I walk in the door. But she was so shocked because what she believed didn't actually happen. She believed she was going to walk in the door that day she was going to go to the hostess and be like, we got a table of five. Instead, she walked in and it was screaming. So she was trying to figure out what the heck's going on in this place. And that's exactly what he's saying. He says, you're not going to be caught off guard because you know the truth. So we know the truth, guys. Don't be, don't be uh, following uh, the red alerts on TV. Don't worry about it. Red alert this, Zika virus this. Actually, we got some kind of new virus that three people have, but we're all going to freak out. You know what I mean? Watch out. We don't have to ride the tide of society, we can be stable. Because guess what? We know the truth. I know what's coming, so I don't gotta be surprised. So when everybody finally says, oh, hey guys, all the disease is gone. The red alerts are down. We're at level green, whatever that means. I've never seen that before. In all the years I've been born, it's been on like red or orange, you know, my whole life. I'm like, I, are we ever gonna step down into green? I don't know. 
Anyways, I don't mean to make light of the situation, but at the same time, like, what are we doing? And what he's saying, I don't think times have changed at all, by the way. I think it's the same then as it is today. So when everybody finally says level green has happened, I want you all to know, don't be mistaken. He says, when everybody says that, that's when it's going to happen in an instant. God's going to return. So he says, you don't need to get it twisted. You don't need to be worried. You know the truth. For you all are children of the light. That means you don't got to live in darkness. You don't live the hidden life like everybody else lives. One way in front of everybody, one way behind everybody's back. We don't do that. So I want to encourage you, if that's you today and you have a secret life, I want to invite you into the greatest freedom of your life. Step into light. Get known. Find somebody who knows you. And I promise you it will be a weight off of your soul to step into freedom of actually living in the truth. You're children of the light. You're meant to live as children of the day. You're not of the night nor of darkness, so let's not sleep like others do. Don't, but let us keep awake and be sober. There it is again. Let us be sober. That means level-headed, not extreme left or right, level. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for the helmet, the hope of salvation. Now he's talking about armor. For God hasn't destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we're awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. I want to encourage you, as you read the scriptures, and you see the word therefore, you always ask yourself, what is therefore, therefore? Because usually there's a truth and then it's therefore, this is how it applies to your life. So let's check this out. The first thing that I want to know about this, about this pastor, I want us to realize is he speaks to brothers and sisters. He's talking to all of us. He's not just talking to church leaders about this. He's saying, hey, all of y'all, this is the intention for your life. So listen up. Everybody has a design. Everybody has a purpose. So if you're stepping in the first time ever hearing this, you need to hear this today. This thing is not just for the pastor to have purpose. It's actually for us to invite the entire gathering into purpose. So if you think that your purpose is actually to fulfill your desires, you'll find yourself living as a person of the darkness. Because what fulfills your desire usually, your personal desire, is not something you're going to be proud of. So you end up living a hidden life. You end up believing that this is going to bring you life when in reality you find yourself drifting. You don't know how you got there. What he's calling us into is to realize the thing that's actually going to bring you life that you're looking for is when you discover that through Christ he gives you a purpose and it's meant to be walked with other people. Because this is the truth, therefore, encourage others. So the first thing after it's for all of us, remember that, he gives us a reminder Let's check out the reminder in verse 8. He says, you're, you're a people of the day. You belong to the day. Live wide open, right in the light for everybody to see. Let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for the helmet, the hope of salvation. I love this symbolism of armor. And what is armor? Armor is actually this stable thing, this solid thing that we put on. That's what he's saying. You have put on this. And if you've come to Christ, do you realize you might not feel very stable, but as you step into maturity, you understand that he's actually given this to you. This is actually what you already have. You just got to discern and figure out how to use it. 
And so many of us are on the journey of discovering what it actually means that we've been given armor. Every single one of us has a faith, hope, and love. Every single one of us does. But the truth, and I believe that this is the truth, I've weighed it, looked at it, and the best that I can tell, I have believed it because I believe it to be true. And I have never found a good substitute for anything else for my faith, hope, and love. I have a question for you today. What is the thing that you have faith in? What is the thing that you trust today? If you're honest with yourself, just be, think, to, think to yourself. What's the thing that you have trust in today? That's the thing you have faith in. What's the thing that you have a deep affection for? You have, a, you have an affection for this thing and it takes over your mind and your thoughts. What is the thing that your heart has an affection for? What is your expectation for the future? Now ask yourself why. Why do I have that expectation for the future? You'll find that every single one of us has a faith, hope, and love. But this is the message that actually brings stability to your faith, hope, and love. It's something that's like an armor that guards you. But what you'll find is, if you don't have something solid, which isn't the truth, then you'll find it not to be a solid armor so that when life hits you, it hurts really bad. So when you lose the thing that your heart has an affection for, or when your great hope doesn't actually happen, what begins to happen to your life? You wonder, my life is crumbling apart. And for many of us who've come to Christ, it took that moment for us to realize the truth. What I, my faith, hope, and love was in it didn't hold the test. It didn't actually sustain me. That's exactly what he's talking about. The reminder is this. You have this faith, hope, and love, and it's in the truth. The, here's the big truth, though. What is the truth? He defines it for us, and it's in the next verses in 9 and 10. What is the truth? What is this armor for us, the faith, hope, and love idea? Verse 9. For God has not destined us for wrath. Okay, if that's true for you, then here's my hope for the future. I'm not destined for wrath. Did you know God didn't design you to, to extend his wrath upon? Many of us believe that, that is not the truth, but that's what the word says. I just read the Bible to you, by the way. <laughs> so you're like, man, that's, the, that's in the Bible. <laughs> I thought God wanted to just smite us all. <laughs> no, his wrath is coming against sin, but he doesn't want you to get caught up in his wrath against sin. No, no, no. He says, I haven't designed you for wrath. This is what I've designed you for. But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, here's where your option to put your faith and trust in is here. It's not in your actions or your ability to make favor with God. You come to Jesus and you say, God, I gotta trust you and what you did. I can't trust my work. I can't trust my goodness today. I gotta trust Jesus' goodness, his righteousness. And when you put your faith and trust in what he did, it will set you free to actually do the work you were designed to do. Here's what begins to happen next. But to obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that, here's why, here's the purpose, here's our great hope, so that whether you're awake or asleep, you might live with him. What happened when you lived with your college roommates? You remember? I don't know about you, but I remember thinking, I'm never going to be like these fools. I'm never going, hey, listen, I ain't going to be like them. I'm going to do it different. 
about two years in, I, I found myself eating what they ate, staying up like they stayed up. We did what we did together, all of us together. We became so similar for the good and the bad. Now I got married. What happens when you get married? You start out as two very, very different people and you either figure out how to get on the same page and become a little bit like each other or you don't work, right? <laughs> right? I mean, I... <laughs> my wife's not in this one. We, I told her, I, I, this is the truth. I, I really, I'd rather be much more like her. But we've helped each other so much because we've come to the middle a little bit. I've helped her out. She's helped me in. And we do a, we do a good dance together and it's getting better. But uh, I, I wouldn't be who I am without her. But living with her, I've become like her. And so what we've been invited into in this, in this passage is, he says, you, you're meant to be living with Christ. Not just when you die. You think when you die, you're meant to go to heaven and live with him. He's saying whether you're awake or asleep, that means whether you're alive or you pass away, you are meant to live life with Jesus today. Thus, if you do that, you will begin to do exactly what he did and therefore, the outworking of the truth believed is this. It's in verse 11. Therefore, because this is true, because you can receive it, if you have, here's what's going to happen. Therefore, encourage one another. You go, that's it. Wait, wait, that's it? Therefore, encourage one another and build others up. Now, I'm going to warn you guys, but I get something, okay? Uh, if you're looking to build somebody up so that you are being built up, I call you a vampire, you a vampire, okay? I don't, don't be a vampire. Everybody knows what that is, okay? And, and I promise you, every single one of us has been guilty of being a vampire at one time, promise. And if you haven't, you will be because you're gonna step into ill thinking, okay? And I wanna encourage you guys, we're here to walk that out together. But there's nothing worse when somebody comes alongside you and it's like they're trying to give life to you, but in reality, they need life from you. You know what I'm saying? Anybody know this? Anybody been this? Anybody there? So here's what you need to know. I want to give wisdom to the church today if we understand that, okay? If you are that person, here's how we walk with those. I know what you need. So in love, I'm going to meet you right where you are. I'm not going to call you a vampire. Sorry about that. I'm sorry. I just feel like that sometimes. I'm like, sucking life from me. You know what I'm saying? I want to meet them right where they are, and I know exactly what they need. So I can understand people. I don't have to live in frustration for them. Okay? So if you're, if you're feeling like that, uh, you want life, I promise you the only true life that you're going to find is when you receive the truth today. That love and affection is actually extended to you through Christ. And all that you need is found there first. You have to find completeness there, be solidified there. And then from the place of being solidified and receiving the truth, then I step into somebody's life. Then I can bring, therefore I bring encouragement. But if you're trying to bring encouragement before you're actually there, uh, you'll find that it causes frustration with people. And they sense the fact that you actually need life from them, not for them. And so I want to encourage you if, if you don't, if you don't know how to do that, would you be vulnerable with somebody first? This is going to bring healing in somebody's life today. You're going to step into somebody and instead of trying to earn someone's love, just tell them, Hey, I really need a friend. Can I invite you into honesty? Be people of the day. Don't try to hide behind a mask. 
Every single person, every single one of us actually needs a friend at one point. But I want to invite you to be honest and vulnerable. And the second you are, I promise you, you're going to find the affection you're actually looking for. But when you try to hide, it's like a repulsion from people. We don't want, nah. Just, just a little practical. Something. The gospel always compels us into loving others. Always compels us to others. That's what the gospel truth is always going to point you to, somebody else. So once you're full of the, the love of God, it's going to point you to actually love others. Are you secure in this truth? 1 Thessalonians 5.14, he skips down and gives a little bit more detail. Here's the detail he gives. We urge you, brothers. He gives three groups that are in the church. We admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, and help the weak. Be patient with them all. That means understand all of them. Can I, this is so much freedom right here. Did you know he's talking to the church? Did you know you walked in a group of people that might be hurting today? Did you know it's okay? Did you know you're okay, you're welcome here? What a joy to understand that Paul is saying, hey guys, uh, recognize the ones among you who are hurting. And you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna meet the hurting right where they are. And we're gonna bring life to them. So if you're hurting today, you've got to be close enough with people to actually know that you're hurting for them to actually bring life to you. So step in and help them understand you. It's okay. You don't have to be perfect. But I want to focus in on this word today. I want to focus in on where he says encourage the faint-hearted. Here it is. Encourage the faint-hearted. The word encourage, a better word is actually comfort. Uh, the same word is used when someone dies, Lazarus dies, and Mary and Martha are are crying and it says that the people are around mourning or comforting them in their sadness, encouraging them. So the idea is to comfort. And what does this word faint-hearted mean? This word faint-hearted, it's used one time in the New Testament. And if you like Greek, I want to break this part in the Greek, the original Greek language that this was actually written in. Um, the word faint-hearted is broke apart in two pieces. And here's the first part. It's, it's called, is oligos. Oligos means small. And suke, oligosuke. Oligos is small, and suke means soul. And so what is he saying? He's saying, comfort the small soul. Anybody remember being small? Remember being small? I remember as a small child, uh, when back, in the long, back in the day when you could just run the neighborhood as a small child, you know what I mean? And I remember riding my bike by this house, and it's where the bully lived. I never forget the bully. I can say his name, but I, I don't. It's okay. I remember it. And I remember I would go past his house with this anticipation on my bike to get to my friend's house. And if he was out, there was this fearful expectation of what could happen. But when I rolled up and I never saw, and he was there, <laughs> there was a sadness when he usurped his or used his power against me, the small soul. So what is this saying? What it's saying is comfort the person who's in sadness. Meet them right in their sadness. Comfort the person who is fearful right in their fear. Meet them right where they are and help them understand the truth. Give them what Christ gave you. We're going to understand and discern what that is through the scriptures. I, I googled the word afraid and it came up with 433 million examples. There's a lot of fear. And so if you're fearful today, I, I don't think you're alone. But the trick is we want to be appropriately afraid of the right thing, right? 
We don't want to be afraid of the wrong thing. So I want to read a couple of these. Are you, anybody afraid of flying in an airplane here today? Oh, yeah. Come on now. But did you know, listen, listen, did you know that there is a point zero 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 one percent chance that you're going to die in a plane accident? Did you know that? But, 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 on the other hand, the car insurance industry estimates the average driver will be involved in three to four accidents in their lifetime. The odds of dying in a car accident are one to two percent. So, guys, here's the moral of the story. You should be afraid of what you're not actually afraid of, right? No, no, that's not what I asked you to come in here for. No. <laughs> are you afraid of heights, though? I'm actually, ter- I was telling somebody the video where the guy steps out on the ledge. Anybody watch those? I get this like flutter in my heart, like <laughs> I get short of breath thinking about what that is. Are you afraid of heights though? It's the second most recorded fear, but your chance of being injured by falling or jumping or being pushed from a high place is one in 65,092. Don't know where they find these numbers. The chance of having your identity stolen though is one in 200. So here's what you to be afraid. Do you fear being killed by a bolt of lightning? That was like every teacher's fear in school, you know? The second lightning we had, we'd go inside. <laughs> I'm still bitter about it. It was the only thing I was good at at school, you know? The odds of that happening, listen, the odds of that happening are one in 2.3 million. You're much more likely to be struck by a meteorite than struck by lightning. So guys, play on. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, we know. Come on. Oh, man. The odds of getting hit by a meteor are 1 in 700,000. A dog, listen, if you're afraid of dogs, uh, if you're going to get hurt by a dog, the odds are 1 in 137,000. On the other hand, here it is. On the, on the other hand, your chance of being injured while mowing the lawn are 1 in 3,000. So how are lawn company, right? We don't need to do yard work anymore. How about sharks? Anybody afraid of sharks? I don't want to scare up. Uh, there's a lot more of us, right? I mean, I'm in. Did you know you're much more likely to be killed by your spouse than a shark? <laughs> <laughs> says it on the paper. It's true, right? I don't know. <laughs> One in 135,000, you're, you're likely to be killed by your spouse. A shark is one in 300 million. Odds are, I don't know. Be careful. Don't know who you're sleeping with. (laughs) Won't ride a roller coaster? Uh, If you have the patience to stand in the line, the chance of a roller coaster injury is one in 300 million as well. But if you play with fireworks on the 4th of July, many of us understand this, your odds of getting hurt are one in 20,000. So... I doubt that you analyze the numbers when you discern your fears, right? Anybody looked at the numbers like, what should I be afraid of? Let's look at the mathematical solutions on this. Absolutely not. But then the reality is, should you really be afraid of what you're afraid of? I mean, if the numbers are correct, usually the numbers are correct. Should I really be afraid of them? There is a chance, but the chance is very slim. But you think about how a fear affects your life. Some of us, it controls every attitude. It controls every move. If fear controls your life, perhaps maybe that this speaks to you a little bit today. 
If today that you're living from fear, this might speak. Maybe you do your job and you work hard for fear that you're going to lose your job or fear that you won't enjoy something else more. You do your work for fear of not providing. You don't know what will happen in the future and it's the unsureness of life that causes you to collect as much as you can in light of the unknown future. You're in school today maybe because you're afraid that if you don't, you won't be successful. You parent your children out of fear that they will become failures. You do your best to tear away from them anything that you deem dangerous to success. You've determined what winning and failing is. Maybe you play a sport, you have a hobby, you have an interest. Not because you believe that a kind creator designed you to display his glory through your ability. Your, ex your, your expertise is an identity that you believe validates your existence on earth. Without it, you don't feel valuable. For all of us performers, we understand what that is. I'm looking to feel validated by what I do. You give yourself value based on your performance and something that you have deemed valuable. You live with a spouse, but he or she doesn't really know you. You, you may blame them for putting, putting forth no effort to achieve intimacy. Your fear begins to breed anger. Maybe you worry that you're missing out on something in regard to sexual love and experience. I'm afraid to miss out on love because I feel that I might be attracted to the same gender. But maybe, in light of a lot of what we see on the news, this is a pervasive message to many of us, but maybe, 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 perhaps, inside of you is stuck this true you. One that is actually trying to express themselves. The true you needs to be seen. But my question for all of us today is, how do you know that that is true? Well, I, I feel, I have a feeling, I have a sense inside of me. How do you know that to be true? Many of us are not rooted in the truth, so what we do is we watch the news to feel how, see how other people feel when they have an experience, and then we believe their experience, and we better go see how it is. What this scripture points us to is that we were meant to put on the truth as an armor so the pervasive messages of our day don't swing us left or right. I want to encourage you, if that's you today and you feel deeply that something is stuck inside of you and needs truly to be let out, I, 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 please, please, please look into the truth. Discern what is the truth. And what does the truth say? If this is true, if Jesus Christ came to this earth, discern whether this is true, then what he says really, really matters. And what he pointed us to is that you were uniquely and wonderfully made. The world is going to tell you you are not. You need to change. You need to fix who you are. You need to look a lot more like us. And I'm telling you, what he made you is exactly the way you were meant to be made. This is what this truth says. Whether you believe it or not is your decision, and it's going to affect every action that you have. What is true? This tension, if you live life not knowing what is actually true, it's going to lead to an anxious life because you're going to be unsure of everything. 
You're going to wonder whether I'm hitting the mark or am I missing him? What should I be doing? And internally, you're anxious, 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 anxious. And you find yourself maybe making mistakes, but because you're scared of revealing yourself, actually, you know where that leads us to? We start piling on a little bit of guilt. And when guilt is piled on, guess what we want to do? We want to go hide even more. And when guilt is piled on, guess what begins to happen? We find ourselves in this place of actually seeing no hope for the days ahead. Hopelessness. And if that's you today, you are not alone. At the end of the story, in the Bible, from Jesus' life, not the end of the story, but like kind of midway, there's a people group that is terrified doing all of these things that I just shared with you. It's in John chapter 20, actually. Jesus has been killed, and he has this following, right, who has given their life. They gave up everything to follow this guy. And one day he's nailed to a cross, and their world begins to shake because what they believed they found not to be true yet. We thought this guy was going to rule. We thought we were going to be with him. We thought he was going to get a big victory. We thought we were a part of a movement that was going to last forever. Now he's dead. What should we do? And here's what John chapter 20 says. On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for the fears of the Jewish leaders, they were terrified. They were scared. Their world was shaking. They were afraid. They were small in spirit. Three days after, in Jewish tradition, what they believe, it was three days after death, the soul actually leaves the body and goes to eternity. So three days happen, and they're super afraid, because guess what? Now these, these authorities who crucified Jesus are looking for anybody else who is a part of this movement. They're afraid. But here's what happens. They were afraid of the Jewish leaders. It says Jesus came and stood among them in this moment, and they were really afraid. But you know what he speaks to them? He doesn't step in the room and be like, y'all fools, I told y'all this was going to happen. What do you think? Listen to what he says to those who are small in spirit. Peace be with you. Hold on, are you afraid today? Hear this, Here, here's worse. Peace be with you. I'm gonna meet you right where you are. Peace be with you. Right where you are, peace. I wanna speak peace to you today. And after this, this is what he did. He showed them his hands and his feet and his side. He said, look, 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 it really happened. You weren't seeing things. I'll meet you right in your doubts. I'll meet you right in your fears. I'll meet you right in your sadness. I'm going to show you the proof. You need it. Here, look at this. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Joy filled them. And then again, Jesus meets them in their joy and says, listen, peace be with you. You know the certain word that Jesus speaks over us today? Peace. Right where you are today, this is which word you need to hear. Hey, he speaks peace over you. Would you receive that today? Would you receive his word for you today? This is for the church today, y'all. Peace be with you. 
And as we meet those small and spirit people that are among us all the time, I'm there occasionally, we're going to speak peace to you. We're going to meet you right in your weakness. We're going to show you how to, the, the way forward. We're going to walk with you. And as your joy increases, peace be with you. Now go do as we have done. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am now sending you. And with this, he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. I read that verse in Romans 8 today. Many of us have received, we've breathed in a spirit of fear today and we're fearing something we truly believe we're afraid of them, afraid of it, afraid of the circumstance, afraid, afraid, afraid. And I want to encourage you in this, in this time, right, this time, right now, I want to encourage you what this word says. Would you exhale that today? Would you surrender that to him? And would you allow the peace of God to be breathed into your life today? Right where you are. You don't got to fix yourself. You don't got to change anything right now. Peace is offered to you in the midst of your fear. He wants to offer you peace. And if you decide that he is the truth that's going to bring peace, you can receive that today. And that's what will begin to transform your life. It will call you into changing the word is repentance in the scriptures. It's going to call you to change. You have no choice. It's what a desire. It's a desire that happens, a joy that fills you. You want to do something different when you realize that peace is offered to you. Right where you are, I'm going to invite that you would do that. What business do you have that's needed? What fear are you carrying today? Would you spend just a moment as we close out today, would you spend a moment just asking, uh, what is this? Jesus, is there a fear that I have? God, is there a truth that I'm believing that I shouldn't? Invite him to speak it to you. I just believe that the Holy Spirit actually wants to speak to you. He wants to speak that to you. He wants to show it to you. Holy Spirit, speak to us now in this time. God, what if we believe that isn't your truth? God, what if we draw in life from? What if we breathed in that isn't your breath of life? And it's affecting our every mood. It's affecting our every word. And here's what the scripture says. What he's speaking to you today, right where you are, he's speaking to you. The scripture says that you can confess that. It means bring it to him, speak it out. God, I believe it's this in my life that is hindering me, that's holding me back, that this is a spirit that isn't of you. It's not inside your character. Invite him to take it. Now, he doesn't just want to leave you empty. And every single one of us has things, stuff, that he's speaking to us. Surrender that to him now. Now what we want to do is we want to receive his spirit of peace. He breathes peace over your life because of what he has done, not what you have done. Pressure's off of you. And you can have this good news today through Jesus. Just come to him and just say, I'll breathe peace over my life. I need peace from you. Father, we want to be people of your peace. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would breathe your life into this place.
breathe life over the people who are, who, are, who are ill, who are sad, who's down, who's afraid. Breathe your, breathe your breath of peace over them today. Peace. God, thank you. Even my soul is uh, lightened. Thank you for just the tangible peace that you give us. Thank you for the calmness of the atmosphere in the moment. God, that you just bring peace in the room. It's peace. We realize we're not alone. Thank you for allowing us to do this with friends. What a joy. And God, the certain word that you speak over us in 2020 is peace. In the face of your fear, peace. We receive that. And we thank you. We worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.